welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. I'm Richard Davidson, and I am joined by my good buddy, Ethan Huffman. Now, Ethan, uh, we are checking back in after nearly all of the second round uh, matchups have been decided, all except for one. We are still waiting to see who will play your Miami Heat. Uh, how you feel? I mean, I feel pretty good. I think, you know, the, the Heat survived and outlasted the slog that was that series. I don't know. I don't know how that was allowed to be put on television. Like, that was a pretty disgusting display. But um, that doesn't mean the next series won't be really good. The Heat played really well against the Bucks, and they played really bad against the Knicks. They won both series. So I feel like they can play up to the level of their competition and maybe still squeak away out to the finals, and who knows from there. Like, it's all possible. That's the thing about this, this NBA season. We said it all year that there was no one dominant team, and I think these playoffs have been the um, – the obvious version of that. Well, uh, mostly. I, I, I will have some pushback at some, the at some point. Nuggets have looked very good in every um, matchup, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the Nuggets where they, and we'll get to them soon, like they handled business with a team that a lot of people were like, oh, the Suns team is the new team and basically just, well, Handle business. It wasn't as close as the six-game series, um, uh, you know, made it out to be. Um, but but first, we need to start in uh, Los Angeles, where we saw the end of the defending champions, um, uh, you know, attempt at uh, defending their title, and uh, the Golden State Warriors lose in six. Um, Jaywon Green on his uh, podcast uh, basically said, hey, hey th- this team, uh, this year, yeah, we didn't have it in the cards, kind of echoing Steve Kerr's uh, mantra. He said, but, you know, this thing, the, 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 whole, the Warriors as, I don't know, an idea, a concept, you know, going forward, basically saying, hey, we're going to try to come back and do it again. Uh, he doesn't think that that's over. But this team this year um, didn't quite uh, – have it in the cards and uh you know what the the lakers stayed healthy and i think it boiled down to just a few things like anthony davis was awesome defense unto himself here in the postseason um you know best defender of these playoffs thus far and you know lebron james able to you know save the burst for when it you know when his team needed it the most kind of uh just kind of managing himself until he really wanted to get to the rim and having random tertiary Lakers players having a game every once in a while, right? You, you have the you know, Austin Reeves, I think was probably the most consistent game to game, but then you have the random Lonnie Walker game, right? Um, in uh, uh, was it game four, um, you have the, uh, you know, Dennis Schroeder making life as difficult as possible, for uh, Steph Curry, you know, you have each, um, you know, D'Angelo Russell making some shots from from, from time to time and uh, not being played off the floor like I would have imagined this Warriors team would have found a way to, to make that happen. So in, in the end, um, here we are. The Los Angeles Lakers are headed to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, and all those things, I, 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 you just have to echo them. Like Anthony Davis, 
completely disrupting any rim action that the Warriors could produce. Like Stephen Curry, like one of the underrated things about his game ever since he's been a superstar has been how how well he gets to the rim as well. Like he's a sturdy finisher, like gets in there, gets contact, and goes to the free throw line a decent amount. Not like, you know, a lot of these players in the Lakers, but he, he gets in there and scraps it up. And with Anthony Davis patrolling the paint, there there was just nothing at the rim other than loony offensive rebounds. And that's huge for like when you're talking about the Warriors who have some good enough shooters between Wiggins and Clay and and Jordan Poole, Steph. Like, there's so many, so many good opportunities for drive and kick with this team and the, just the natural flow that that team has. And, I mean, the fact that Wiggins also just not going into the paint, not really, like, maybe just trying to post up some mismatches every once in a while. Like, it just changed the complete dynamic of how they run their offense once you step inside the three-point line. By the end of it, uh, Wiggins, I think, had a broken rib. Uh, so I don't know when in the course of that series that happened. But, you know, with him not playing for near the second half of the season, coming back in and trying to work his way in, it, he just wasn't as good as last year. Um, but it's not even not even that. It's the it, – we, we talked about this last time. They were missing pieces uh, in his podcast. Um, Draymond said, hey, you know, we didn't have – uh, something else we could throw out at this team. We didn't have um, an Otto Porter Jr. We didn't have an Amanya Bielitsa. And, that you know, it's shots, veil shots at, at Jeff, you know, uh, not at Jeff Green. Um, if they had Jeff Green, maybe maybe we're good. Jermichael Green uh, there. And it's, again, I don't know how much of Looney not playing big minutes was, you know, they came out and said, oh, yeah, he, you know, not feeling great, but he's playing every game. Like, he's, uh, when he's out there, he's uh, one of the, you know, plus people every single game and plus minus, which, you know, you can't really take that into consideration all that much. But the one thing that the Warriors were able to beat the Lakers in the four factors was offensive rebounding. Well, if you could have really steered into that, I think that would be, um, it, again, the thing that I think, and maybe I'm just wrong here, but the way to put stress on LeBron and Anthony Davis was with setting screens with the guys who they're defending, right? And you constantly did see the Warriors trying to take, uh, all right, Anthony Davis is guarding you know, Draymond Green. Let's go ahead and uh, have Draymond come and set the screen. Okay. Anthony Davis is no longer guarding him. He's guarding Wiggins. And you saw a concerted effort to have Wiggins come up uh, and set screens. All right, he's, you know, we're, we're going to put in, um, uh, you know, Gary Payton II. And, 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 but each time the Lakers are just like, oh, well, I'm, we're just going to have Anthony Davis guard somebody else uh, so that he can stay near the rim. And I think if you put Looney and Draymond out there, like, he's got to cover one of those guys. And... I I just think that that would have been the way to do it. 19 minutes per game is not enough for Kavon Looney. Um, whether they couldn't go because of you know Steve Kerr outsmarting himself and going away from it after the first game, uh, or whether it was you know just he wasn't help 
you know, healthy enough, sick, I don't know. But they needed more from uh, from Looney, and they weren't able to get it. And the guys who did step up a little bit for this team, like Moses Moody. Moses Moody played a great series, and they almost got to him just maybe a little too late to kind of, like, actually, like, make an impact. But guys who you'd like to have seen play maybe a little more when things were struggling, Jonathan Kaminga. Like, I know Jonathan Kaminga makes a lot of errors out there because he's a young guy. He's 20 years old. He hasn't doesn't have all that much experience. But they took they took the time to give him run in the regular season to prepare him for this moment. And I just felt like they didn't give him a chance other than garbage time to prove himself. And if you can't play Looney who is not a, a great athlete in terms of, like, you know, jumping through the gym or jumping all over the gym. and like, But he boxes out. He gets all those offensive rebounds. He does all these things that make the Lakers keep an eye on you. You have to acknowledge his presence or he will get rebounds. I think Kaminga could have had a similar impact in some spurts. And I, I wish would have liked to have seen that fail versus not trying it, which is what they did. And even in that last stretch, when you know Wiggins has the rib thing, and uh, in that last game, you know he's out. You have to have uh, Clay Thompson guarding LeBron James, so LeBron was able to get there. It's like, hey, let's throw Kaminga out there as you know, just an option. See what happens. Kind of you know a last ditch effort, but just did not have the trust of of the coaching staff. And if that's the case, then why is he on this team? And there are some questions that the Golden State Warriors are going to have to answer um, going into this offseason. And it's nice to think and suggest, oh, you know, the Warriors are going to, you know, they'll be able to bring everyone back and uh, it's it's not a problem. Well, first off, they, they're spending more than any team except for maybe the Clippers, right? They're, those are the two teams that are spending the most. And this new CBA is is an issue um, that's going to prevent you from being able to to operate and do what you need to do. And the Warriors' ownership doesn't seem like they want to spend more than $400 million, which repeater tax Warriors team, as high as they are, you know, that's a thing that they're going to have to consider and think about. Clay Thompson is going into the last year of his deal, $43 million. Now, that's just straight up no player or team option there. But the sneaky thing here is that this is when extensions start to get talked about. It's like, hey, we need to figure out what an extension is going to look like. And if Clay Thompson and the Warriors don't really agree on what that extension looks like, that's where there starts to be a question of, well, if you don't want me to be here, right, then... You know, it starts to open those doors for trades, right? Draymond Green does have a player option, $27.5 million. And I think, you know, Draymond was basically saying, hey, I, I want to be here. I think that Draymond is like, hey, if, if you were to give me the same, you know, same kind of contract, you know, 25-ish million dollars over the course, you know, maybe, maybe up to 30 if you wanted to get it there. Like, th- that's... I think he'd take that, but that's just so tough. Uh, and starts to, you know, now we're starting to have to pay Jordan Poole all this money. Uh, we are going to have to make a decision on Kaminga here soon. 
who's getting six million this year, but we're nearing the end. And if you haven't figured out, like, it's the same thing that they had to kind of come to grips with for Wiseman. And look where he is. So they are they're gonna have to make some big decisions uh here. And uh I don't exactly know because Bob Myers isn't locked down either. I think the the interesting thing with Draymond is I, I, I do think he's available for like a, a good team friendly deal to some degree. I think that's very dependent on Jordan Poole being on the roster or not. If Jordan Poole's on the roster, not a dime less than Jordan Poole. I think that's going to be the man's attitude. And as long as Jordan Poole's getting a 28.7 as of next year, there's not a chance that Draymond, unless he opts in and they're going to extend off the opt-in, and Jordan and Jordan Poole getting out of here is part of that extension, no, no chance Draymond Green is playing for this team for less money than Jordan Poole unless it's just for one, a one-more-year thing. That's just my perspective on it. Um, ultimately, Jordan Poole finding a new home is the best scenario for all. Like, Even if you parted him out for three different players, that's just three different shots in the dark to hopefully plug the holes that you have. And you don't need Jordan Poole. Unfor- unfortunately for the man, you don't need him. He's very nice for the regular season. But we have not seen him play, even last postseason when he had some moments, consistently enough to warrant the, the money he's getting for a team this good. Just, just who's the team? I look around and it's not obvious to me who the team is who would want to pay Jordan Poole all that money after what we've seen. Um, again, you could, it could be, all right, let Jordan cook. All right. That's, that's, that's a, that's a cool theoretical, you know, even if he's, Hey, he's running our second unit, he's getting some time, like the Spurs. And and again, the upcoming draft lottery here on Tuesday is going to clarify some things that are not clear right now. Um, but the Spurs, do they have any interest in the Jordan pool? I don't really think that really fits what they want the rockets should have no interest there the trailblazers absolutely not they they what's the point there um the utah jazz i don't really see that uh, unless they really want kind of the second coming of jordan clarkson um which you know that was great but you already have a jordan clarkson at home that you can uh, you can pay dallas mavericks that's not in the cards for multiple reasons the thunder don't want him timberwolves can't trade anything uh the Pelicans, I just, I guess they don't have a, a point guard, but it, I just, it Neither isn't is totally. He's a point guard size, Bench combo guard. He's, he's a CJ McCollum yeah. without a pedigree. And again, and again, they have CJ McCollum. So you just look in. All right. So now those are all the teams that are the bottom half of the West. That's not there. The Pistons don't want them. The Hornets have LaMelo. Um, it, you know. You already have Terry Rozier there and around, but maybe maybe that's a, a mismanaged. But but what do they have to trade to the Warriors that the Warriors would want? Also nothing. So so like is the Wizards for what? I just the the team that I want to identify as why like I think I said this last off season when they were going to end up paying him. The team that they needed to like let this man walk to was Orlando. It always was Orlando. Orlando, here's the problem. They blew the chance to get like let Poole get out of there by letting Markel Fultz like come back to life. Like Markel Fultz is now like 
no matter what, can't shoot still, but no matter what, a contributing NBA player. And they still have Jalen Suggs, who's they're developing, and they got more draft picks coming. They had an opportunity last year to find, like ship Jordan Poole to Orlando, either in a sign-and-trade or like just let him walk, and they decided to overpay him. But that was the team that has been available for years that could have used him. What about this? DeMar DeRozan for Jordan Poole. Well, why would the Bulls do that? Why the Why are the Bull the Bulls? Why are the Bulls exist? Have <laughs> yeah, like it, it's it's basically the same contract. You know, starting point. They're going to make basically the same amount this year, and you the Demar Derozan. You know, it, we're beginning to end. You know that 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 part is ending. It doesn't really doesn't really make sense. Um, if we're if we're on it, if we're being honest, but it's it's like that's the best I can come well, up the with. The Bulls trade that I had was like getting trying to get Lonzo Ball and all of his health problems, and just say, hey, let's hope you can be fine by the time we need like we need oh, you. Uh, like I would rather have a broken not. Lonzo Ball than a healthy Jordan Poole. Ugh. Wow. Okay, so that, that's a lot. It's a lot I'm, there. Saying it seriously, though, I would <laughs> I would take the thirty percent chance that Lonzo Ball is healthy and can play over the hundred percent chance that Jordan Poole is healthy and can play. I would do that every time. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if the percentages are that high for Lonzo. Don't sadly, care. I would. I would personally still do that. And then give me. And then if you have to do money things, give me Derek Jones Jr. or Javante Green. But I mean, Javante Green's an unrestricted free agent, so he can't be traded. But Give me get, and then give me Derek Jones Jr. just running around for the Warriors. That sounds like fun. Another Jonathan Kaminga to not get any minutes in the playoffs. Uh, point is, the Warriors have some questions to answer. It will be an interesting offseason. And this being, it's weird because this summer is kind of split. Whereas, like, the first half of it is old CBA. Second half of it's new CBA. So, like, some of the some of the limitations that are about to happen uh, to some of these teams won't happen until July hits. So the Golden State Warriors, one of the things that you're limited with the new CBA is you can't, if you're a super tax team, you cannot trade the draft pick that is, uh, you know, seven years away. Well, I think that the Golden State Warriors are probably going to trade that uh, at the draft. Um, is, would would be my guess because, and I wonder if you see a few teams do that. But that's not what we're here to discuss and talk about. Um, point is, the Warriors we've got questions uh, for them, and uh, we're gonna have to, I guess, wait and see. Um, uh, let Let's talk about the team that the Lakers are going to be facing, um, or at least let's talk about that series. The Nuggets just. You know, they eliminated the Suns, 4-2, but it really wasn't all that close. Four factors uh, that the that basketball reference has for them. The uh, Nuggets won all four. Um, <laughs> you know, effective field goal percentage. They, they shot better. They turned the ball over less. They got more offensive boards. They got to the free throw line more frequently. And Nikola Jokic is awesome. This team is built especially well around uh around him and 
you can you know you know who your top eight guys are in Denver. You know exactly what they can do, and I think that they are uh, they were set up here to do very well. DeAndre Ayton um, and the other Suns centers didn't really have an answer for Jokic because this is a man that you can't find answers for. Um, you're either going to let him get his and take away everyone else, or you're going to let everyone else get theirs and and uh, to take away Jokic. And sometimes when you try either one of those things, both things happen, right? You get the Michael Porter Jr. game where he's just hitting shots and that's it. Um, and it's, it's amazing he was able to uh, in this series, score 35, 13, and 10 on 60, 45, 85 shooting splits. And the Nuggets basically took the approach of, well, anyone but Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, feel free to beat us. And Landry Shamit did in one game, even with Booker and Kevin Durant, you know, going berserk. But it took that to barely beat this Nuggets team. And it's just... The Suns did not have the personnel, especially once Chris Paul went out. Um, I don't want to say predictably, but after Chris Paul, uh, you always knew that was a possibility. He goes down, and now it's well, campaign. You know, can you do? You know, can you do stuff for us? And they did increase the pace, which uh, you know that was something new and interesting, but. It just wasn't enough. You didn't have enough there um, to handle this Nuggets team. They were too good. And so the Suns are eliminated. Yeah, I mean, you bring up campaign being, like, inserted in starting lineup. And I feel like the games were inconsistent. He had a hot game, and he had some bad games. But, like, it's campaign. And he shot 40% from three for the series. Like, I know we're like, that's a box score checking thing. But, like, you can't expect a lot more from the guy, in all honesty. And they, you could tell, first possession of that uh, Nuggets-Suns game, they just didn't cover campaign. Like, campaign, you could take that shot. That's fine. Oh, you made the three? That's okay. It's just, it it wasn't going to matter, right? It's the, we don't trust that you're going to take all of these shots. It doesn't matter enough for us if we're able to allocate those resources to make life difficult for Devin Booker, Kevin Durant. And yeah, Kevin Durant had a bad shooting performance and, you know, maybe that was just, he, he had an off night. Happens. But, an off series. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's, this Nuggets team, whenever you make a big trade for a star and you gut your um, depth to make it happen, it, you, I mean, this has been true of years past, you know. You, you think of that initial Miami Heat, uh, you know, team, and uh, when when you know they got LeBron, Wade, and Bosh there, and they needed a year uh, or so to to find the pieces to you know, put around them. Suns need a year or so to do it. The problem is, it's just they're going into the summer when the CBA is changing, and that makes life tough. No, it's. It's definitely a it's definitely a unique situation. I think they still should do that trade every time. I mean, I, in all honesty, like there's just parts of me that are like, I wish they just would have let Mikhail maybe explore some of his 
you know, avenues a little more, and maybe they could have. Maybe that maybe he could have done some of what he ended up doing the second half of the season in Brooklyn for this Suns team. And, you know, that's kind of the thing I like about the NBA is when we actually can watch teams grow up together. You know, Mikel and Devin have played together a long time. Mikel has obviously been an Iron Man, but it, you know, I'm glad that he got his opportunity to shine elsewhere. And we talked about it when Chris Paul went down and how like that. I actually thought that would it's 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 unfair because they want they lost those two games on the road anyway. But I actually thought like the Chris Paul injury was going to help this team maybe find something. And it did for two games when the, the two boys caught fire. But there is something to be said, despite um, despite their upside going up offensively by having like more three point opportunities coming their way. You kind of lost two players with that injury, not not just Aiton missing game six, but you lost him for the other three games because you didn't have his pick and roll partner, a kid, the guy who gets him engaged. And Aiton, when he's engaged offensively, plays better defensively. It wasn't probably going to make a difference, but losing Aiton's offense as well, which went away as soon as Chris Paul did, that's the, I didn't factor that in heavy enough into like my analysis of why I thought Chris Paul not playing could actually give them a little higher uptick in three-point attempts, and if they made them, they could play really well. I'm not sure. It just I don't know. Again, you just didn't have you didn't have the bodies. Didn't have the bodies to be able to handle this uh, Nuggets team. And now the Suns team is going to have some major questions going into the offseason, right? Uh, late last night, uh, Monty Williams was relieved of his duties, and he. Um, it, new ownership seems to be running things there with n- not sure how involved Isaiah Thomas, uh, Detroit legend, is uh, in, in Phoenix. But with uh, with Monty Williams being out, and, and just as an aside, if the D- Detroit Pistons aren't calling him immediately, uh, then I don't know what we're doing. Um I need Monty Williams to be the next head coach of the Detroit Pistons. Just wanting wanting that to be out there and and, and clear. Uh, I guess if I I feel like you do that. I mean, traditionally, usually you do that if you kind of know you're going to be able to get better better coach. Maybe you think Nick Nurse is a better coach. Maybe you think Mike Budenholzer is a better coach than Monty. Maybe you think uh, that you can. Lure Ty Lu. I saw a report that um, from Mark Stein saying that they were interested there. Kind of weird. He's under contract with the, with a different team. Um, so, you know, I don't I don't totally know what they're going to do there. But it feels as though a, a something had to change there. And you know whether it's going to be Chris Paul as well or Aiden if he's going to get moved too. Or it's just we're going to try to add these small tertiary pieces for the minimum or, uh, you know, tax pyramid. It depends how close they are. And, again, new CBA um, issues that they might have, it, you know, that they might run into. It is easier to change the coach than it is to uh, get players under contract, right? You can pay coaches however much you want. You can pay for a new coach every single year if you'd like to. It doesn't matter. So, I just, I just don't know if any of them are going to be able, you know, are going to be able to do better. Um, 
I don't. I'm sorry. I don't want if I'm if I'm the uh, Suns players. Like Nick Nurse sounds cool, as long as you're not having to be coached by him. Do I want to be able to you know employ his defensive strategies? That's a lot of work. Do I want to be able to do that if I'm Kevin Durant? Not particularly. So I don't I know. I think the most important aspect of this coaching search is where is the front office wanting to go with personnel? If DeAndre Ayton's a part of this team, I think Coach Bud is a great option for this team. I don't think you can get Ayton to become a three-point bomber like Brooke Lopez. And Brooke Lopez made that transition before he got to Bud. But what I think you could do is there's no reason, especially giving Brooke Lopez's physical limitations, there's no reason that we couldn't see a Brooke Lopez horrible defensive player most of his career we, there's no reason DeAndre Ayton couldn't do every single thing Brooke Lopez does on a, on a basketball court. So, if DeAndre Ayton's part ah. of future plans, there's no reason that Bud shouldn't be, like, would be my number one choice. Partially because I think Devin Booker and Kevin Durant could overcome any of the problems that Bud has had closing games out. Because it's Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, not... Drew Holiday, Chris Milton, and Giannis, who's great, but can't shoot. Like, if Aiton's part of the plan, I like Bud a lot for this team. I know we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but if Aiton's, if Aiton's on the way out, then there's there's a lot of flexibility that I can't tell you who should be the next coach of the Suns. Aiton has consistently not played with force. That has been a mantra that, you know, Monty has been trying to get him to to do for years. I and mean, the sound bites from the 2021 finals of, you know, him telling him what he needed, you know, what he needed from him and then Nathan trying to respond. It just, it's a constant mantra that has consistently fallen short. And uh, I, I do think Bud is a better coach to manage the regular season um for this for this team for a team like this that has the potential injury concerns there whereas Nick Nurse is going to look at them and be like hey I, I I only see four good players on this team so guess what the rest of you just aren't playing and we're going to play everyone 46 minutes a night in the regular season like it's I don't. I don't trust Nick Nurse with uh, Kevin Durant's body for the next three years. Just I don't want to see it. So um, we we hope. I hope they can find someone. And keep in mind, like we're we're throwing out big names here. There could be all kinds of really good assistant coaches that are just needing that that spot that NBA people know and have identified. Like Darvin Ham's been doing a great job coming from the bud tree, like. There's, there could be another one of those guys just sitting there waiting. Not to like not to mention all the like everyone should just be everyone should be hiring all of Spo's cronies right now. Hundred percent. Coach coaching aside, right? They are got we've talked about eight already. Chris Paul it does seem like a logical um person to trade. He has about sixteen million dollars guaranteed for next year. Um, the rest is non-guaranteed. It becomes guaranteed just before the new league year starts. I don't know if if the Suns trust him at this point. Especially Isaiah Thomas out here probably doesn't like to hear how Chris Paul is, you know, 
better than him, and Isaiah Thomas has his, you know, fingers in the pot, and uh, I I don't know if I see him on the team. He's, he's a natural trade piece. He, he's It's the, hey, can we turn this bigger contract into a bunch of smaller ones um, you know, type of deal. The question is, again, you look around, and it's, I don't quite see the obvious place for a um, for a Chris Paul. Um, I don't see the team that would say, you know what, yeah, we, we want to sign ourselves up for that. It's The contract is not an issue because, again, you can pay him the full thing this year. The year after that is, uh, you know, non-guaranteed, like fully non-guaranteed, I believe. Um, so you can do what you want. But I, I just don't know what that looks like, who the team is out there that would – um, be interested for Chris Paul at that price. Yeah, because he's always been a small guard. He's still a small guard. And his health has failed him, I would say, six of the last seven years in the playoffs. If not seven of seven. And like like we did with Jordan Poole a second ago, I think Chris Paul is a little bit more desirable for more teams because at least there's like the veteran leadership aspect of it. But there's just not a lot of options out here. I mean, obviously Kyrie's not coming to Phoenix, but if Kyrie's out of Dallas, maybe Chris Paul is a, a, a Luka match. I don't know. Like that that also that sounds like a clashing personalities thing. Like I the late I don't think the Lakers are in the Chris Paul market. Not for that price. But that's obviously not for that price. But that's obviously a friend of uh, Mr. LeBron James. Like, I I just like, you're right. I just don't see the team that needs that kind of guard leadership at that number. Now, if he is for some reason bought out, lots of teams going to have interest in Chris. Yeah. Yeah. A team that, a team that maybe should consider it. Here's a thought. The Clippers. Clippers have a lot of those middle contracts. The depth has not worked out for them so far. Obviously they already have the two wild cards of health. Let's just make it three. Kawhi, Paul George, and Chris Paul. Clippers have needed a guard that actually can help run an offense for a while. They have guys like either Norman Powell or Eric Gordon who they could move on from as part of that deal. Like They have, they have guys that they could slip out of this team, and it would not be a problem. I, I That might be the only team that at that price point even, it makes a little sense, especially because price is not an issue for Mr. Ballmer. Yeah, that might be it, though. I'm telling you, like, that's the only thing I can think of that, like, kind of checks the box. And it get it would give the Suns some added depth pieces, even if you got, <clears throat> excuse me, even if you got Amir Coffey, Nicholas Batum and Norman Powell, or if you got Eric Gordon and Robert Covington and Terrence Mann. I wouldn't give up Terrence no. Mann. But Terrence Mann's not going to throw names out yeah. there. I'm I'm just throwing names out there. There there are there are people on this roster you can move on from that don't actually hurt you because they don't have enough. There's not there's only five spots on the court and they have too many guys who are in that, you know, seven through eleven or like seven through ten that just don't play enough. Keep an eye out for that one. Chris Paul back to Lob City. Yeah, no, I don't know who's. I mean, Mason Plumley finishing the, the lob seems a little. You know, I don't think they'll like that uh, round two of that. 
let's let's talk uh, Western Conference Finals outlook here. Um, Lakers versus Nuggets. This starts and ends, in my opinion, with the Anthony Davis Nikola Jokic matchup. Like that's this is the epitome here. What happens? Uh, can the Nuggets pull Anthony Davis away from the rim for him having to guard? With him having to guard Jokic, um, I, I I think he's really the only option um, on Jokic. There's not really a second thing they can go to. Um, it, so can the Nuggets take advantage of that? I mean, the only other, like, for example, in the regular season, the uh, Nuggets played against the Sixers, right? And in the matchup where Embiid went crazy and uh, they went and said, hey, P.J. Tucker, we're putting you on Jokic. And what this is going to allow us to do is it's going to allow us to keep Anthony Dave, uh, sorry, um, Joel Embiid near the rim, right? Have him, uh, I don't know, guard Aaron Gordon or whatever. Yeah, help, helping off the non-shooter, whether it be Aaron Gordon or if the matchup is this one, uh, Bruce Brown. But you're floating your rope. Could you see them? The problem is they don't have anyone else outside of uh, LeBron James to do that with. I mean, the, you have Jared Vanderbilt, but doing Ooh, do, but, but, but the problem is doing that as well. Even if even if you wanted to try it, that hampers your offense so much. I don't think you can do that for for large swaths. That can't be the game plan. Um, so it would be a LeBron James. Could you see them trying to have LeBron James guard Jokic and kind of pull out the Sixers game plan from that like fourth quarter, M- maybe in a fourth quarter if if needed, and just say, hey, you know, you're guarding Aaron Gordon on the uh, you know Anthony Davis. That way, we keep you near the rim. And I I don't know. Like that's where I think the battles are going to be. Otherwise, Anthony Davis is on there, and that's going to start opening some more things up. At the rim, you're opening up the inverted pick and rolls that uh, Jamal Murray or Bruce Brown can set, and keeping Anthony Davis far away from the rim while having Jokic attack. I don't know. It, it seems like uh, that's the matchup, and foul trouble either way is a big thing for um, uh, for both teams in in this at the, for those two guys. I don't hate the idea of LeBron getting some minutes on Jokic because in like if you have Anthony Davis in that helper role you do like if he if he takes LeBron to the post which will be a nightmare for LeBron like you, you do have the help over the top and at least at least LeBron should be able to sell out on the shot defense because the passing angle should be cut off when you're that close to the rim by Anthony Davis now, I I just wonder what Jokic would do with LeBron. Like, does he all of a sudden? All right, well, you're 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 clearly trying to shut this paint down. Now I'm gonna go into like a you know mid post dribble handoff kick around the the three point line with Michael Porter Jr., KCP, and Jamal Murray. Like that that doesn't sound like a good option either. Overall, it's. I think it's definitely worth a shot, but I, I do anticipate, you know, the tried and true man-on-man defense. You got the best defender, maybe in the league. You got the best, the best offensive center. 
You just got to let them run at each other and see what happens. Like, I know it's not very creative, but it might be what, like, just makes the most sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you start there and I'm just curious to see how that evolves, uh, throughout the series. Um, what else, uh, stands out to you about this matchup? What else are you looking for? I'm curious to see how how the guards end up playing and the rotations thereafter. Talking about Bruce Brown and his inverted pick and roll possibilities, the Jamal Murray pick and roll inverted pick and roll. I'm curious to see what the Lakers do specifically with Jamal Murray. We talked about it a little before we pressed record. Is do we see a uh, Jared Vanderbilt um, trying to overwhelm Jamal Murray with some size, or do we see the, the Dennis Schroeder just trying to you know run under and through and all that kind of stuff? I think it's really interesting when we're talking inverted pick and roll with Murray and Jokic. Is switching more valuable? Having someone who can, you know, at least slow Jokic down long enough. I know Vanderbilt can't really hold up with him physically. Like, that's a bully ball post stuff. And there's obviously the offensive concerns of Vanderbilt. But is having that ability to switch those and make sure Murray just doesn't get open shots, is that as valuable as, you know, the shrewder running through and around everything i mean the, the, the problem is this it's like that decision is up to the nuggets and as you know if shooters out there all right so now let's get to these uh inverted pick and rolls um oh, all right we can't handle that uh so let's get vando all right so we're gonna just go into the handoffs you're gonna chase around and we're just gonna make life more difficult there we're gonna get these uh get actions where we're you know um you know handoffs pitchbacks back and forth between them and and then now that you have Vando out there it is hampering the offensive end for the Lakers it just it's a problem that uh you know if Murray is hitting his shots if Jokic is able to do all the things that he does like it just it's a tough it's a tough equation to solve for the Lakers um and if if it's me this is where I look and say, all right, well, let's go ahead and have, you know, LeBron James and let's have Schroeder out there. And then you have Anthony Davis. Like that, that's where that seems to be maybe a, with LeBron James on Jokic becomes more of a possibility. But I just don't think you can do that for a full game. Like the, you don't want LeBron's defensive load to be, like, you don't want him to have to deal with any of that. Like, you want him to be able to stand with Aaron Gordon in the corner. What you want? So you you want LeBron to pick his spots, and so maybe maybe that's like something Darvin Ham can do is be like, hey, here, like if, if if they're having the same conversation, they're like, all right, hey, we need this for a quarter a game. If he gets hot, off to a hot start in the first quarter, we gotta try something different. We need you to like do this for the second quarter. But like Le- LeBron, despite not putting up the most impressive counting stats or efficiencies because he can't shoot right now. Like he's still just in such control when he gets the ball, like very blessed that Austin Reeves has shown such, such good basketball, like decision-making vast majority of the time he's out there. Cause without, without Austin Reeves running the show for LeBron, some of these possessions, these guys aren't getting stuff done. LeBron, like LeBron is not playing like he, whatever his minutes are cut it in half. Like that's how much he's actually playing out there. 
he, he's taking a lot of load management while being on the court, which is impressive in its own way. I, I just wonder if, if he gets tasked with that, that defensive assignment, guarding Jokic a little bit, if he has any legs for offense. Because that's the thing, LeBron finally has looked human this postseason, where it's like, oh yeah, you struggle when you're doing a lot the whole game. The other thing that will be, I'm just curious about, is who guards Michael Porter Jr. on this Lakers team? Uh, we, we, we kind of thought about this a little bit pre-pod, but like you look at who the Lakers want to play and start. Like They ended up with um, Dennis Schroeder starting. I don't know whether they start with that or not, but regardless, if they don't, it's not like Vanderbilt is out there to guard Michael Porter Jr. He's going to be out there to guard Jamal Murray which leaves D'Angelo Russell or Austin Reeves as the guy is guarding Michael Porter Jr. So I am, I'm just curious how that, how that goes. Um, Michael Porter Jr. being as tall as he is, it feels, and one, this is one of the things that we, we kind of came to the conclusion on if the, if the Nuggets really want to make the Lakers pay here and put them into a buy, not only do they have that going on, but if Michael Porter Jr., which I don't think this is really up his alley, but if he can pull a PJ Tucker and hey, you know, you're you're the guy in the corner from time to time, shot goes up, man, D'Lo is not gonna box you out. Go get that offensive board, right? Anthony Davis is away from the paint on Jokic, right? Go get it, and you know, give yourself those extra possessions. Uh, it it seems as though that would be a natural thing that uh, MPJ could do. He's He only had four boards, four offensive boards, all of last series. So it's not a thing that he does. But, like, if he could sneak a few in there, um, that might just put the Lakers in. The, the Lakers have a lot of different options they can go to, but they all do different things well and different things poorly. They don't really have the answers. Um outside of kind of their top guys. So you just have to make them pay when they are putting a liability on one side or the other out there. And for me, that's a curious matchup um, and, and maybe point that I would love to be, I would love to see if they get to. Yes, I think we both would agree. Like that's kind of where you have to go for the starting lineup. Regardless if you start Schroeder or if you start Vanderbilt, like like you said, that's a Murray decision, how you want to handle Murray. But it's going to be D- – I, I think it has to be D'Lo on MPJ because I don't like the idea of D'Lo trying to keep up with KCP on all of his catch-and-shoot things. I know Michael Porter Jr. does this a lot of the same plays, you know, floppy action and p- running off pin downs. But, like, for what it's worth, like, Michael Porter Jr. has got longer strides, but he doesn't move quicker. And I like D'Lo trying to keep up with that. And then tempt tempt MPJ to turn the corner and, and go. Like, he's not doing that. KCP will pump and go. And that, that's where I'm like, I want Austin Reeves on that guy. Because I feel like Austin Reeves has that second effort ability that if you make a little mistake, you still have a chance to get back in the play. MPJ's pulling up from three, or he's dunking when, when he does a back cut. Like, we're not, we're not seeing – we don't see, like – as much as he, I think he does have a bag, we don't see it because for whatever reason. He he literally just catch and shoot. Wherever Jokic gives me the ball, that's where I shoot it. 
And that sounds like a good matchup for D'Lo. <laughs> in terms of whenever he catches it, it's going up. Great, I'm here. I think that's uh, that's it for the West. Um, we should talk briefly about the Heat eliminating the, the Knicks. Briefly. Uh, before uh, we put a pause on this pod and, and watch the uh, you know Game 7 there. And we'll have Elkin. Uh, I'll have Elkin on afterward. We'll talk about that. But... Uh, Heat Knicks, Ethan. I'm just giving this to you. Let us know. Tell tell us tell us the story. It's not good, Bob. It's not good. Um, <laughs> the the Heat just played up down to their level of their competition, and the Knicks are not a horrible team. Like it's the best Knicks team since like 2013. Like let's let's put them in the correct place. But this team has a lot of flaws on the roster, and ma- mainly one being. Uh, Mr. All-NBA Julius Randle, beyond me, what what people do out here. Regardless, um, Jalen Brunson, I think, is the, was the best player in this series. Jimmy Butler played great overall, statistically speaking. Um, but there was a lot of like time off in that. I, I think his ankle is worse than he's letting on. Obviously, he missed a game in the series. But the man just did not quite have the the gumption to get in there and continue to fight every single game. And you know what? Matter of fact, he didn't have to. And so hopefully this, like hopefully this can lead for him being a little bit healthier um, going into our next series. But um, Bam, Bam did his job, handled the paint, like only let offensive rebounds really be a problem for one game. That being the elimination game in New York. Um, it, it just comes down to shooting with, these two teams and both of them don't have enough of it. Like, I think if you like look on paper, the heat should, but they, they clearly didn't have it for this series. But I, again, I just want to reiterate Jalen Brunson is, is a dude in this league and it's very different than we're seeing a lot of guys succeeding. Like most, I feel like most guards are, you know, high volume, like water bug creating lots of different, shots this man just gets in his bag and steps back for three or takes you to the paint and steps back for a mid range. like he just he, he just has a lot in his bag and he can always get to it and um yeah if if Jalen Brunson was on the Knicks had an offense if Jalen Brunson was smothered they didn't have an offense and that's what the series came down to the heat, the heat had just a few had a few more options to get to offense despite you know, Jimmy or Bam not doing everything for him. Yeah, just interesting for me saying, hey, the uh, Heat can win in multiple ways. You know, you see the round one series and you see the round two series. Um, uh, regardless, though, it's we're making it ugly for you on the other end. And I mean, we've, we've talked about it on this pod, Spo Masterclass uh, in, uh, you know, in his uh, what he's able to do with the little that he has. Um, uh, who, real quick, before... You know, before we find out, I mean, those those listening to this pod will have already known the outcome. But here, here in this moment, who would you rather see, uh, the Sixers or the Celtics? Oh, man. And, and some, I think I would rather play the Sixers because I feel like Jimmy has so much more of a mental edge against the Sixers. Like, like if, if there's any chance that Jimmy can truly will himself up over and through a team, it would be the Sixers just on like g- 
gumption and want to. While the Celtics do have plenty of demons revolve like in their heads about the Heat as well, I, I just think there's too many options for them to slow Jimmy down. And if Robert Williams is going to play pretty pretty well, there's all of a sudden too many options to slow Bam down. And then, God forbid, we are dependent on Duncan Robinson, Gabe Vincent, and Struess going off. And while all three of them can be good shooters from time to time, I wanted to let you know that Duncan shot, despite having one really good game, he shot 28% from three in that series. Gabe Vincent shot 26% from three in that series. And Struess shot 35% from three in that series. So, you could say, we're about to flip back on the green light and everything goes in again. But... I just think the Celtics have have enough answers, despite I think the I, I think both coaching battles are just knockouts for Eric Spolstra. But the, the, there's just so many more tools in the belt. I feel like for um, for the the Celtics, whereas if the Heat can figure out a way, if Bam can stay out of foul trouble against Embiid. I, I do think there there's a there's a path I can see for the Heat beating the Sixers. Just knowing how well that Jimmy had to play last year to get to that one shot to win it all against the Celtics. And Kyle Lowry's worse this year. We don't have a Tyler Hero to supplement some offense, to have some shot creation. It's just tough to see. It's just tough to see how that's going to work. Yeah, like I feel like... Uh you'd be able to figure out the PJ Tucker. We don't have, we, we're going to, we're going to find ways to exploit him on one end of the floor and exploit Harden on the other end. And if, if PJ Tucker plays, this is the unique thing that gives Kevin love who had also, let me see a uh, 24% from three last series. If PJ Tucker's on the court, Kevin Love can play. And that's dangerous for the... And let me tell you why that's dangerous for the Sixers. If they want to do some kind of weird, oh, Kevin Love's out there, we'll have PJ just assault Bam the whole time. Bad idea. Because you know what that's going to lead to? A lot of open Kevin Love threes and a lot of Bam alley-oops over the top of PJ Tucker. If they try to stretch PJ Tucker out, you know who knows all PJ Tucker's weaknesses? The guy who had him on the team last year. I'm telling you that there's a reason I want this. I want, I would want the Sixers while thinking both teams are uphill battles, but the Sixers have a lot more holes to like, just kind of pick at. Regardless, the Miami heat will have the coaching advantage in uh, the finals, in the the conference finals. By a lot. Yes. (laughs) By a lot. (laughs) It'll be. Didn't matter last year. Didn't, but listen, and they, and they had a coaching advantage against Ime Odoka as well. Don't let anyone tell you. Yeah, I mean, you have a coaching advantage regardless because Spo is the best coach in the NBA. So, anyways. You heard it here. Oh, you did hear it here. Um, uh, we're going to take a break, and uh, when we're back, the entire game will have been played. Uh, and uh, Elkin and I will be able to break it down for you, and uh, we'll get into what the Eastern Conference Finals is going to be like. Um, as always, eat fun. And we are back uh, after Game 7 of the uh, Celtic Sixers, where the uh, 
Sixers are eliminated. The Boston Celtics have prevailed, and I'm here with Elkin. Elkin, you've, you're hopping on here. Uh, how you doing, man? I'm good, you know. Things are going good. Uh, unfortunately, got a got a sick kid uh, today, so uh, he's he's having a little rough time. But you know what? We're making it. It's all I can ask for, and just going from there. But besides that, glad to be back on the pod. Yeah, and uh, he, he's in good company. I mean, we got Joel Embiid and James Harden as well, um, who are themselves uh, a little bit sick after. Um, uh, this really what it turned out to be a th- the third quarter, right? Yeah. Um, in this in this game seven, it was neck and neck, pretty tight. Um, even even with Embiid and Harden not playing that all that well, um, at least from their scoring output, near near tied at halftime, right? Uh, and it seemed like hey, you know. All it would take is those guys to find the rhythm in the third and to kind of figure out, uh, you know, figure out what the Celtics were doing. Uh, but alas, that was it was uh, not to be. Um, no. What did you see, what did you see out there with? Uh, uh, I don't know whether you want to focus on what the Celtics did or the Sixers struggles. Um, well, where do you want to take it? Well, first the Sixers. I almost I don't know if you got the same sense. Every like coming, it didn't seem like they were completely, completely um, recovered from that game six loss. Like that's the one thing I noticed from the Sixers. It's kind of, it's kind of like they had in the back of their mind, like we had a good chance. We should have, we should have finished them off when we had a chance. Which I honestly think would have happened if the Lakers would have lost game six. I think game seven would have gone very differently for the Lakers. That's my personal opinion. Uh, but uh, looking at that and. They had in the beginning they got help from PJ Tucker making a few threes and they got out to the lead, and then it kind of felt like the Celtics slowly got momentum. And then in that third quarter explosion, and you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording, I just kept seeing like the Celtics were just like, forget this man, it's game seven. We're gonna do pick and roll, switch, make and beat, switch out into Tatum. That's pretty much what they. I felt like they spammed that play. At one point, I felt like it was like five times in a row. I think PJ Tucker switched out on like one of those. But I'm like, uh, this isn't going to help out much. But I felt like the Celtics were just like, we're pretty much going to have our best guy, one-on-one guy, go against Embiid, who is knocking the perimeter. Interior, Embiid is great, but if we pull Embiid out, there's not much he's going to be able to do. And Tatum has the option to blow by him because there's no rim protection outside of Embiid. And that's what I feel like they kept doing. And you brought up a really good point, Richard, that the Sixers weren't doing anything to prevent it. Where we've seen a few teams do it, in the regular season, but in the playoffs, you tend to see teams do this. They put the matchups in a way that make it very difficult for teams to try to get the switches that they want because teams expect that. And I think like after like the first two or three times that it happened, or even the first time, like Sixers should have been like, this is the obvious thing. They're going to try to get Jason Tatum alone to do his thing. And, and it was frustrating because it seemed like Doc Rivers was kind of just like, oh, this avalanche is happening. Oh no, what can I do? What can I do about this? Whereas, like, once that, and I felt like once the momentum came for Tatum, like, you have to nip them, but you have to do something. You have to make sure because I felt like game seven at home, the momentum was very real with that home crowd. And once I started going, I was like, there's no way stopping this. And I think it ended up being a 33 to 10 third quarter as well in favor of the Celtics. And I think, I don't know if you turned it off, but after that, I kind of just like had it in the background and I was like, all right, 
I don't think I need to really pay attention to this because I don't think the game's going to get closer anymore. But what what did you see happening in the third quarter? Well, I, I think on on the other floor that you're talking about, right? I mean, just like like we said, Jason Tatum was able to find his rhythm and and basically put the Celtics away. Sorry, uh, put, put put the um, Sixers away, and yeah, like they. With Embiid, like I don't know exactly what the Sixers could have tried to do with the way they defend. Like one of the things that the Celtics do when they have Rob Williams out there is like, all right, we're keeping you weak side. We're keeping you weak side, and we're making sure that you are, um, you know, basically on PJ Tucker. But if you know PJ Tucker exchanges and like Maxi gets down, or you know, gets in that spot, whatever it is, we're having you on the weak side help. We're not having you involved in those actions. If your guy goes up to set the screen, you're at a point. Next guy is going up to take it, right? So that we, we don't get Rob Williams where we don't want him. And Sixers didn't really take that approach, right? Embiid was just kind of going. Because guess what? A healthy Joel Embiid, he, he, you know, he's he probably can hold up a little bit better um, on Jason Tatum. But if you're out there on the perimeter, like we said, there's no one back protecting the rim. P.J. Tucker is not going to do it. Um, Tobias Harris is not going to do it. And I think th- this type of thing is what we ended up seeing with the when Trey Young was able to uh, exploit um, uh, able to exploit in, um, the Embiid knee injury in that uh, playoffs a couple of years ago. He did it in a different way where he would actually you know, use that screen to get downhill and um, or he'd be coming off that screen, taking a three immediately if Embiid wasn't high enough uh, or get to the floater range. But here, it's, Embiid was like, all right, no, I'm getting the switch, and I'm, I'm going to ISO. And I'm either going to get to this uh, sidestep or I'm going to get to this, um, you know, step back three. Or if you get a little too aggressive, if you get up there a little too much, I'm going to blow by you because there's no resistance and you can't keep up with me. And he was able to get whatever he wanted. Um, third quarter, uh, Jason Tatum went... Four of five from three, right? And I I don't know, but I, I'd venture to say that Embiid was on him for most of those shots. Yeah. Uh, five, five of seven from um, the field. One of them, I think, was getting in, in, into the paint there. But free throw line as well, three of four uh, during during that stretch. And 17, 17 point quarter, right? Plus 23 in that in that time frame. Yeah, and it's just... Uh, and yeah. It was just watching that too, and I th- and I think on the other end, offensively, because we did t- we do need to talk about how the Sixers only had ten points. It just felt the Sixers were very very sloppy, and watching them on offense, Richard was in like I, I must I could have missed this. I did not see much action happening with any type of pick and roll, and then I'm like, all right. They were like, all right, Harden, what can you do for us? But then um, they're like, all right, let's 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 try to get Embiid there in the post. But then it was the same situation where Embiid will get the ball, not even out on a three-point line, but not deep, but in an area that will make it real easy for the Celtics to collapse on him. And it's happened constantly. They give him the ball in the worst position. And I'm like, you have to, you guys have to let him get deeper position or something. Because as soon as he took a dribble, you, had, you, you know how you brought up how they like to keep Rob Williams on the weak side? He took a dribble. You have Al Horford right in the back. And then what would happen? Rob Williams cached over immediately. And that's what happened constantly. And then if you dribble too much, you have someone like Marcus Smart just drop real quick or like Jalen Brown and try to poke that ball away. And that's what they kept doing over and over again. And I'm like, this is not 
like the offensive look, looked ugly to me. Because besides that, I was like, all right, can we get someone else besides Embiid going? Maxi had a great game previously. I mean, Tobias Harris, he's had he hasn't been like lights out, but he's shown that he can do something. But it's just like, nope. Offensively, it just felt like I don't want to say it wasn't creative, but it felt like it was so stagnant offensively that the Celtics defensively already knew. And I get that in Game Seven, you know what the other team's going to do. But it just felt like we reached a point where the Celtics were like, you guys are going to do the same thing over and over again, and we're expecting this to happen over and over again, and we're going to get a stop. And that's what I kept seeing. Well, with with this, like, it looked ugly because the Celtics did an excellent job of executing what they wanted to do. They, um, in the Harden and Embiid pick and roll, right, which, let's be honest, it's been one of the best pick and rolls um, pairings of any in the league. And all right, we're going to it, and and so when when they're when they're going when they're coming off of that, one of the things they wanted to do is they wanted to funnel Harden to the right side, right? They wanted to make sure that he get you know go to his right hand where he's not as you know not as dominant. He's very left hand dominant. We we know this. It's in the past. People have played Harden so much that they're almost like behind him as long as he's not getting to his left hand. Um, and so that's one of the things that they did. But also Horford was, you know, the primary on uh, Embiid. And on his drop, he's shading uh, and angling himself so that he's taking away Embiid's role. He's making sure Embiid is not getting this role. And what they would do, you know, in a traditional coverage where you're in drop, you're essentially playing it so that, hey, you know, you're fighting over the top, um, you're, you're, you're dropping down and the guy's chasing over the top for a rear view contest and your, your, your big man who's dropping kind of has taken both guys, right? And it's designed to not let the other guys around uh, get open shots. Um, drop coverage is, is you're supposed to basically be able to handle that with, with, with two people. It requires good screen navigators, which Boston has. But that's not really the way that they went about it. They, they had a whole lot of nail help. That guy one, you know, one pass away is is in tight, right? Making it so that, you know, even if Harden does go in, it's the, well, there's not tons of room here, not tons of space. And Bede is, is covered there. Let me kick it out to, you know, to Maxi or to Tobias. And, uh, you know, Harris got three three-point attempts. He made one of them, right? And so it's it, it was designed to make things very difficult on those two guys and having Rob Will having PJ Tucker out there you need him for his defense but on the offensive end he's not going to give you anything right he took one three-pointer attempt in that third quarter and that was it that was that was it and so you uh because of the other personnel it makes it so that you don't have any uh, you have multiple helping points and you're trusting, hey, you know what? We're going to trust that Maxi is not going to beat us from three multiple, multiple times. We're, we're trusting that Tobias Harris isn't up for the, uh, you know, isn't up for it. And the moment MB does catch it, man, we're going to make sure that he's not able to get comfortable. We're going to send um, the double from multiple spots, multiple people, so he can't get into a comfort zone. And that led to Embiid maybe on top of the knee as well, but being passive is, you know, being being passive here. So, with this, um, with their defense paired with Tatum going off, it just it led to led to this explosion. Um, 
maybe uh, you, you could have done something a little bit differently. Um, I'm sure that there, there were, you know, things that, you know, Doc, you know, something he could have tried that he didn't, but he, he, he did, I mean, they tried to do some different things um, uh, throughout the course of this game, but it just didn't work because guess what? Boston was the better team. Like, Boston was expected to come in to win, yeah. and hey, guess what they did? Yeah, and that, that's kind of what it felt like. And and kind of like at the, as we get ready to wrap up talking about the Sixers, I was thinking, I, I heard a quote after the game where MB was saying, like, it's pretty much talking about, like, how it's him and Harden. Like, I, I'm paraphrasing the quote, saying, like, it's him and Harden, we need more help. And I'm like, the Sixers don't have much cap flexibility to do much for them. And it's it's at this point where I'm just like, this might be the team that it is. Like, it almost seems like the Sixers had that crossroads where they had they could have done whatever they could. And I don't know how feasible it was to keep Butler, but they. I feel like that's just, like, altered history. Like, but looking back at it based on the contract, I honestly don't think the Sixers would have given Butler that contract based on his age. Like, I'm just going to say that. Like, people are like, oh, they should have kept Butler, but I don't think the Sixers were going to, the asking price he was going for. I, it. I mean that that's that's the moment in history that the Sixers are gonna regret for a while. Um, as far as where they are now, I mean the issue has been and always will be Tobias Harris overpaid for what he does for this team. It's not his fault, you know. Previous um, uh, front office work gave him that contract, right? You you traded for him and. You know, you want you want to get something in return, and they they have minimal. I mean, the thing that they really have to make sure is, like, we can't lose James Harden. We lose James Harden, then for nothing because he can walk for nothing. And he's been flirting with the you idea have of no, Houston too already. Like that's that's so obvious. You you have no recourse. Yeah. So you you you're at the you're at the unfortunate situation. You have to bring him back. Like, can you find a trade partner for Tobias Harris? There are people who need what Tobias Harris can do, but in that trade, are you going to get back the things you need? Um, like, and B, his, his conversation was a little tone deaf. Like, he needs to play better, right? He needs to be healthy. Uh, Harden needs to play better. Harden played, had a wonderful two games uh, out of this, but, you know, wasn't able to, you know, even get close in, in, in the final two. But it's you need someone who can bring PJ Tucker's defense while being, you know, someone who you can, you know, who can handle things on the on on the defensive end. You know, sorry, handle things in the offensive end too. Be a threat. You know, you need Max to continue to take steps. He's been doing well, but you need him to continue to do that. And you kind of need someone to take on the Tobias Harris role. Uh, but maybe have I don't know multiple people. It's yeah. I don't know where that goes, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's movement. Um, even if they're able to retain a Harden, like there's got to be some change. Yeah, they're gonna have. It's to just a question of you, you're paying all this money. You're gonna be a, you're gonna be a super tax team or pretty close to it. Yeah, with the new CBA too, the way the the way things are shaping up. I mean, with that, it's just gonna be like teams are. Who you know, not want to be in that super tax now. Things are, I don't know. Like a lot of the, a lot of these teams that are losing that we were talking about are super tax teams, and you're like, well, what's the what's the move? There aren't many. 
Yeah. And and so there aren't any easy ones. You don't have picks, uh, tons of picks that you can go out and, you know. And it's not like these guys have uh, just like expiring contracts to throw around or anything like that. I mean, yes, Golden State will have the choice of Draymond Green. What do we do with that? But then, I mean, Steph Curry's contract, that's worth it. We already know. But then you have Clay Thompson, who I'm pretty sure the last three games of that series was just putrid. What do you do with that? But you're right. Like these teams who are bowing out, there's not much flexibility you can do unless you find a trade partner who's willing to offer you some to offer you a way to get to that flexibility or to get pieces that you feel like are going to be helpful. It's going to be interesting. Like I honestly think there's a chance that Doc Rivers might be gone too. Sometimes that's the easiest move is to, all right, we're changing coaches. And a lot of times you do that if you don't have the roster flexibility, but you know that you can't just run it back. And so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Um, because, like, there are there are some things that uh, can be done, but we'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if, um, if Doc is back. Um, let's let's get to the Eastern Conference Ooh. Finals outlook. Uh, Miami versus Boston. So, so we're basically we're back to the bubble. Um, all those the teams. Final four. Yeah, we're we're back. Uh, this is going to be a unique series though i mean it's yeah it's the same two teams but it's different right the the heat don't have a four like they used to um and it's also kind of crazy too uh well first off this is also a a rematch of last year's it's not just the bubble it's a rematch of last year but we don't have pj tucker on this team and so for me the question that I am keep coming up to is how does Spolstra handle this roster? Because it's Spolstra has been cooking. Spolstra has been doing, Man, you know, he's been in the kitchen laying down recipe after recipe. And we're like, we love him what you're serving. Yeah. He's like, like, yo, we're, we're, we're dealing with some expired tuna. We also have this. And he's like, oh, we're just, we're cooking it up anyways. And we're going to make it right. Yeah. And it's, it's worked yeah. so far. And he's like, we got some scraps, leftovers, paint stuff in the pantry hasn't been used, but it's still good. Let's just do it. But I think you, you, you asked me a good question, Richard, uh, before we, before we started recording, you're like, Elkin, how are these matchups going to look for on the heat's end? You're like, Elkin, how's that going to look? Because like I hadn't even, I hadn't even given it any thought. I'll admit it. Like I hadn't given any thought. And then I looked down. Like I have the roster pulled up right now, and I'm just looking at it. Like it's staring me right in the face, Richard. All their players that I think are going to probably have solid minutes, which I'm going. For, I'm I'm looking at like seven names right now that I'm like these are going to be their guys. And it's going to be interesting who Spolstra puts out there, because I think he his main lineup was the main lineup. He had Jimmy Bam. Max, he has he has Strews, and then was it pretty much Lowry and then Kevin Love? Wait, was that five like, or six? It, it depended on the game. Kevin Love only got about twenty minutes a game, but like no, Lowry never started. My bad, my bad. He did uh, Gabe Vincent. That's what I meant. Yeah, Kevin Love started, um, but he, you know, he's not playing the big the the. As many minutes as even a Caleb Martin or Lowry, but I'm looking at this, and they don't have, like, I just keep asking myself, coming back, is this a Kevin Love series? Like, oh, that's this a good it, it feels like 
And, and of course, you might think, okay, yeah, if they go big, all right, yeah, it's a Kevin Love series because you got to match up with Rob Williams and Horford. And so Kevin Love allows you to, you know, he's out there to space the floor, um, you know, kind of in the Al Horford role, but for um, um, for this uh, Miami Heat team. And, you know, you got Bam who's able to roam and, and do what he needs to, uh, at, you know, switching on to people and with with Rob Williams out there. But I, I Man, Missoula even can, if they like, go small. I was going to say, Missoula can be like, we're going to go small and see what the Heat are going to do. And, and so here's the thing. Even if they go small, if Boston goes small, like, yeah, you have issues, but you're st- Miami is still too small, in my in my opinion, if they try to go match small for small. Like, if it's me, I would spend, I would say, hey, you know what, we need to have some of these minutes. We're going to have Kevin Love uh, on Al Horford still. Bam, you go take Jason Tatum. We're going to have you work against Jason Tatum. That way, we can have um, Jimmy take uh, Jimmy take Jalen, right? And, I mean, you're going to have some Bam on, on Jalen, uh Sorry, you're gonna have Bam on Jason Tatum, and he's he'll spend time on both on both both of the Jays. But like, I could see him probably not right away, but later on in the series going to some of that because I just looked and it's like, all right, Gabe Vincent, all right, yeah, you could spend some time on on Derek White, uh, Kyle Lowry, yeah, you could spend some time on Marcus Smart. That's gonna be an awful awful matchup, but one that we need to watch and behold. Um, yeah, Jimmy, you can take Tatum. Max Drews spent some time on, on, on Brown. But it's like, do I want, do I really want Max Drews on Brown? No. Do I want him on Jason Tatum? No. Do I want Lowry on those guys? I mean, all Lowry's going to do is just try to flop. He's too small. He's not going to be able to, to deal with that. Vincent's also small. Duncan Robinson, we've not mentioned him. You know, he's tall, but guess what? He's barbecue chicken out there. So you, you really can only have him out there if, you know, you you look and you think, well, maybe there's someone else out there. There's going to be a lot of zone happening in this series. It, it's I just Spolster's at a disadvantage here, but he's the best coach in this series, and I just wonder what he's going to be able to come up with to mitigate some of the difficulties that Miami's going to be uh, facing just with the initial matchups. Um, it's going to be an have to be an awesome uh, Jimmy series, and it's it's just that Boston has so many so many ways that they can hurt you. Um, whereas, like we just saw with the Sixers, there's only a couple ways that the Sixers were able to make life difficult. Boston has a lot of pieces, and they're really versatile, and that's what makes them yeah. exceptionally mean, tough. I wonder if I mean I wonder if. If Boston also too is just gonna, I mean, because the obvious thing for Boston to do on defense is make someone else besides Jimmy beat you. Like that's like the odd, like the number one thing that they're gonna do. But I just think the way that Spoelstra plans, it's easier said than done. Like you can't just be like, hey, Spoelstra, we're gonna take away your best player. Because I feel like the way Jimmy is at getting through lanes, slashing, doing what he needs to do, and post ups, like he's, I think he's still gonna get what he needs to get. And. Like, I think, I mean, you're right. Like, three-point shooting is probably going to have to be a big thing. Like, their guys, their shooters are going to probably just have to hit to keep them in games. But then, like you said, but let's just say we have, like, a tie game and we're down to, like, three minutes. 
like who's Bolster gonna put out there? Like I can see him, like I honestly could see, hmm, I could see the Celtics going small a lot of times in some crunch minutes. But why am I confused? Why am I stressing about this? Like I'm, I'm on the coaching staff. Like I should be staying. No, I know right now. it's. It's tough. Like I don't think we see Grant Williams as much because Grant Williams is a place that I yeah. think you can have guys hide. Um, like, what's he gonna do other than sh- you know shoot some threes? Yeah. Uh, which okay, I mean they're probably cool, he might they're probably, make some. Yeah, and I feel like they're content with like Robert Williams taking those Grant Williams minutes and do what yeah. he needs to do. Yeah, yeah. Like the thing with Boston that they're not gonna do or they haven't shown the willingness to do so, is they haven't shown the willingness to, like, play outside of their defensive scheme in, in ways like, hey, we're not gonna, they're not going to double like Jimmy. Yeah. That's, just, that's just not really what they do. And, yeah, they'll, they'll do some unique things where, like, like, like they did on, on Embiid. Like, like they, they would go and, like, you know, send, like, people might help off. But it's not as if like we're we're showing a hard double. There's I, yeah. I doubt they're gonna do that to a guard. Uh, they weren't yeah. willing to do so with. Um, I was just say like with them James Harden, never, with like even like when James Harden, I felt like when he went yeah. off in game one, they didn't do it. No, they were just like, all right, we're still gonna keep it up. So then I think like, are they gonna go with? Is, based on regular season and in history, do they normally put Jalen Brown on Jimmy? Is that who they normally play, or? Um, that's a good question. I, uh, they'll, I mean, they'll probably do both. Either it'll probably be, you know, hey, we're going to give you, you know, either guy the, you know, matchup. Are you getting tired? Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll swap it out. But it's going to be yeah. those two. Because I feel like, because I feel like Marcus Smart is too small. Like I mean, Marcus Smart will spend me. time there. Marcus Smart spent time on a beat. He, he's going to be around there too. So, um, and one thing Boston does do is they do shrink the floor. Like, they are going to show nail help um, off of uh, guys they don't care about in Miami. There's some to not care about. But, uh, yeah, we're going to we're gonna see. We're going to see who, um, who Miami can make it to a pressure point. And we're going to see if Boston is able to handle this without – Focusing all of their attention on, on Jimmy, all right? We'll see. Who do you? Boston should any, be able to take this. I was gonna say like Bo- I'm kind of like, leaning a little bit more towards Boston, but like it would take a coaching, like best coaching performance past, I've seen. I wouldn't in a put life. it past Spolstra to just pull I out wouldn't. something. Like he's probably he's he's probably been. Since that third quarter, he's probably just been sitting there in the basement of the Miami Heat arena, just going over all the film and go, cooking up stuff. You know he is. I mean, I, I cannot imagine, like, the percentage of zone that I think Miami's going to be playing in this series, I think it's going to be high. I think it's you're going to see some some unique things. Um, I'm excited for it. Uh, I At the same time, I don't, assuming... Relative health for all all involved. I just I just don't see Miami having uh, the horses for it. All right. But if you like Miami, th- th- yeah. there are some odds out there. Uh, I'm just saying. Oh, so I imagine. Uh, I wonder if uh, Ethan's going to take a look at those. Uh, I think Boston's odds. minus six hundred. So that that lets you know. Oh. 
<laughs> that so that lets you know where where people, you know, yeah, Some people are feeling it's, it's what this. Yeah, it's it's gonna be tough, but looking forward to it. Um, okay, one more thing we're looking forward to, just at the end, real quick. Draft lottery happening oh. this Tuesday. You and I are both keenly aware Ooh. of all things related to that. Um, it's a big one. Gotta say, if if one of our teams um, is hopping up there, it maybe who knows, maybe even regardless, uh, we, we might we might have to jump on the pot and and do, mean, do do a do a quick one. Your team, your team. I mean, hey, if because your team can't drop out of the top four. Is that is that what it is? We top can drop to five. Five is five the is one the that we are most likely to be. And I think like for for us, yeah, it's been a while since the Pacers. I don't think the Pacers. I think like, man, if I see that envelope when it's the Pacers supposed to be the Pacers and it pulls out another team and it means the Pacers have jumped, Richard, I might have to hop on at that point. Listen, I, I if the Pistons drop to five, I'm I might be too sad to pod, but. Um, I just even if I, they drop I, to I, four, I'm gonna be sad. But five, here's, here's I'm gonna truth. be beside myself. Here's, I'm gonna tell you this though: the only team I don't want winning the lottery are the Houston Rockets. I'm gonna tell you right now, with the way that franchise is, Richard, that's the only one that I, I'm like, please, please, please. I also, I also don't want the Charlotte to do it because they're a bad franchise too. Um, like you know what? I would take him like on the Magic. I'm like that would be a fun team to we watch. Fair. I wouldn't like it, but you know, I'd respect it. Yeah. yeah I even I do. I but we'll see. We'll see. Tuesday is it eight thirty normally the lottery? Um, I have to look. I think it, it's it's going to be right before, um, right before whatever that uh, game. I mean, the next game is eight thirty Eastern. The ESPN. So it's going to be right before that. Um, I'm I'm sure I can 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 fight figure out right now. Well, it says it's televised at 8:30 Eastern, so I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um. But I don't know how that's happening when the other game. Well, we know we know for certain if um that 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 NBA game is not starting on time. It's more like tip off is at 8:47. Let's be honest. Yeah, it might might be later if we're if we're yeah. <laughs> All right, Richard. It's been a great pod. Right, Best yeah. of luck to you on Tuesday. Thank you. You as well. Thank you.